Right, today I want to talk about... Um, I, don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a subject you've ever heard spoken on before in church. I, I'm racking my brain, I don't think it's a, anything I've heard um, spoken on before. And that's the, the subject of, of shame. Actually, what, what I've entitled this talk is Being a Shameless Community. Um, I want us to be, I feel God's saying he wants us to be, more appropriately, a shameless community. Not in the sense of the world and shameless in terms of, you know, doing whatever you want without any sense of shame, but shameless in the sense that the church is a place where shame doesn't belong. So that's where we're going today. And, um, why, thank you. And, um, why am I, why, why do I want to talk on this? Well, I felt, I felt God put this on my heart to speak about as part of our kind of culture of honour, and that's a series that we're going to be revisiting. Honour is something that we, the um, culture is something that has to be cultivated, it has to be, it has to be revisited. And we're going to be revisiting this, this idea of a culture of honour. And, um, we've also just finished a, a series on identity, and about who we are, and that actually what we do comes out of who we are, and that we're not defined by what we do. And as these kind of two ideas kind of converge, this culture of honour, this kind of commit, commitment to, 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 to give each other the grace, and that we don't always deserve, and to honour one another, and to prefer one another's needs above our own. And as that converges with this, this sense of identity, this sense of who we are in God, this security that comes in, in being in Christ, and being an adopted son, and as those two things converge, um, it opens up this kind of place of freedom for us, doesn't it? A place where actually um, we can live, and we can move, and we can, uh, uh, and we can, and we can um, exist without any kind of shame. And that's the heavenly culture that we're trying to build here. That's the heavenly culture that we're, that we're, we're seeking to put into place. Psalm 25 says um, that no one who hopes in you will ever be put, put to shame. No one who hopes in Jesus, no one who hopes in the King will ever be put to shame. And I'm just going to move this up because... And that's a picture. That's a picture of the culture, of the heavenly culture. That no one who trusts in God will ever be put to shame. In fact, Romans 8 tells us that there is someone who has the right to condemn us, and that's Jesus, and he chooses not to. The one that has the right to condemn us refuses to do it. He's chosen to justify us instead. So if he's refusing to do it, then we shouldn't go there. We shouldn't do what he refuses to do. We shouldn't condemn one another, judge one another, and bring each other into a place of shame. There's no place for shame here amongst God's people. It doesn't belong here. We don't want it. It hinders the work of the Holy Spirit. And actually, we're partners with God. We're partners in his work to set people free from shame and to set ourselves free from shame. We'll partner with him in that and to see others um, set free of shame in their lives. But what do I mean by shame? What are we talking about? Shame. It's easy to, to, to bandy the word around. Well, if, if you've got guilt, and you've got that kind of sense of, of, of having done something wrong, guilt's kind of an internal sense. Shame is to do with other people. It's how we relate with other people. It's how we feel in terms of how other people think of us, see us, maybe judge us. And actually the Bible tells us that sin, and that, that shame is a product of sin. It's like a byproduct 
of sin. In Genesis 2, we're told that um, Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were naked and they, they felt no shame. Shame came into the world after sin came into the world. After they disobeyed God and then they hid from God because they were ashamed. They knew they were naked. They knew they were, um, they were afraid of God. They felt ashamed. So, shame is, an, is appropriate. It's an appropriate response to sin. It's an appropriate response to the things that we do wrong. But it's a, it's a byproduct. It's a consequence of, of sin. I don't know if you saw a recent story in the news. Um, it was probably last month. Um, about a young man who doesn't need to be named and don't need to go into any of the details. Um, but there was a young man, um, and it was widely reported, who was described as happy, full of joy, full of hope for the future by his family. And um, this apparently happy-go-lucky young man um, went up onto a bridge and threw himself off a bridge into a river and committed suicide. And when they investigated what had happened, they found that this uh, young man had been tricked by criminals on the internet and that these criminals opposed as a young lady, a young girl of the same age as him, and had convinced him to make a video, an explicit video. And they'd recorded this and then revealed that actually they were, they were, they were actually criminals and they blackmailed him for money. And, they thre- and the threat was that if you don't pay us money, we will uh, post this online. We will post this on your Facebook, on your, uh, we will send it to your mum and your family and your friends. And he was so ashamed and felt so trapped and so hopeless that this happy-go-lucky young man went to a bridge and threw himself off. That's, that's shame, that sense of being trapped, that sense of being um, terrified that other people will find out what you're really like or what you've really done. And we can all empathise with that, can't we? Can you empathise with that? If we imagine the kind of ten worst things that we've ever done or ever thought or ever said. And if you imagine those things have been captured on video somehow, like um, this young man, and that's, you know, someone was threatening to post it onto YouTube and, and, and send a link to your mum or, uh, or, to, or to whoever, your friends, to the church. We can understand that sense of terror, that sense of shame of being found out. And maybe it's, it's not even that, maybe it's even things we've done this week. Um, not so bad things, maybe, in the, in, that we, in, in the greater scheme of things. But that's that sense of even things we've done this week, actually, we wouldn't really want anyone to find out about that kind of sense of shame, that sense of what will people think. And shame will isolate us. It will divide us. It will torment us. And even eventually kill us. But our predicament isn't hopeless. Because anyone that hopes in him will never be put to shame. Isn't that exciting? Our predicament isn't hopeless. You know, we don't have to go to that bridge because anyone who hopes in Jesus will never be put to shame. They can be free from shame. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death and sin's like a loan shark. It demands payment for the wrong we do. And if sin is the loan shark, then shame is the, the guy with the baseball bat that turns up on your doorstep demanding payment. But anyone who hopes in Jesus will never be put to shame. It's exciting, isn't it? We're not bound by shame. We're not held by shame. It doesn't have any power over us. It doesn't have any control over us. 
So that's the kind of community we should be, a place where people can come in, where people can be free from shame. How do we build that kind of heavenly, shameless culture here? I want to look at an incident in the life of Jesus, actually a bit less of an incident, more of an interruption to his day really, Um, an interruption in the day of Jesus where he demonstrates a heavenly, shameless culture. And I want to just look at three things that we need to, um, three steps that we can take to put that culture into practice amongst us. So if you've got a a Bible or an iPad or an iPhone, then um, turn, turn to Mark 5, verse 24. And here we see, um, Jesus. Here we see Jesus. Um, there's a there's a guy called Jairus, story you might know, and he's quite important. He's a ruler, and his daughter's really ill. He comes to Jesus. He says, "Look, will you come and pray? Lay hands on my daughter so she can recover and get well." Because Jesus was doing a lot of healings, and um, and Jesus agrees to go with Jairus to pray for his daughter. And while he's on the way, it says verse 24. So it says, "So Jesus went with him." And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So here's Jesus. He's on his way to Jairus' house to pray for Jairus' daughter. And, um, you know, he's in this, he's in the, in the middle of this crowd. Think, um, I don't know if you've been to the German market. Think of the German market. You've got like lots of extra people turning up and less pavement space than there normally normally is and you're you're literally pressed up against people and people stop in to have a look at the kind of 10th hut with candles and things in and everyone's squashed together. It's like that. Jesus is, is, is getting squashed in by lots of people that want to get close to him, that want to see him, that want to, get pra- that want to be prayed for. And then there's this lady who's got this physical condition She's got this um, issue of blood, this bleeding, a, a hemorrhaging. And it's been getting worse. She spent all her money on um, doctor's fees, trying to get better. But instead of getting better, she's got worse. Um, she spent everything she's ha- had. But it says in verse 27, when, um, when she heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, Verse 27. So she's in this predicament. She's got a physical condition. Um, she's uh, in, in kind of financial dire straits. And she hears about Jesus. When, verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. When she heard about Jesus, she came up to, to him and she asked, Jesus, will you lay hands on me? No. It doesn't say that. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Why did she sneak up on Jesus? Why did she sneak up and grab his, grab his cloak? The reason is shame. We're told about her physical condition. We're told about her financial problems. But what isn't obvious to us as um, kind of Westerners um, 2,000 years later is actually that for her to, for this behaviour of hers is outrageous in her culture. It's just, it's outrageous behavior. 
She should be ashamed of herself, according to this culture. Because, you know, in, 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 the, the, the Jews had the, these laws of separation, which were laid out in Leviticus 15, where um, certain people were, had to be separated out from the people until they were cleansed. And women um, on their period, or who had an issue of blood, or men for other reasons as well. And um, even if, you know, you had athlete's foot, you know, uh, an infectious skin disease. You had to be separated out from the uh, people of God for a time until you were cleansed. But for her, that's okay if it's just going to be a few days, seven days, or however many days. But for her, um, she'd, she'd been sick for 12 years, the Bible tells us. For 12 years, she'd, she'd been in that place of having to be separated out from the people of God. And for her to come into the crowd to touch people... Um, was outrageous. It, it was she would have been she would have been ashamed of herself. For her to touch a rabbi, to touch a prophet of God, she would have been ashamed of herself. But she wanted a healing. She needed that healing. She needed that healing, and she'd heard about Jesus, and she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I can get my healing, and I can I can run. So she sneaks up behind him, and she grabs his robe. And then verse twenty nine tells us that immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed from her suffering. Immediately, she knew in her body she's been healed. Which is why we often ask people when we pray for them, if they, you know, has the pain stopped? Has any, do you feel any change? Can you move? Because quite often people know in their body straight away that, that, that something's happened, that healing has occurred. And um, she knew in her body that she had, she'd been healed from her suffering. But verse 30 tells us at once... Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? She'd been healed of her suffering. She'd been healed of her physical symptoms. But actually, this is a whole person healing. It's healing for her body. It's healing for her finances. It's healing for her relationships. Just think, her relationships with her family, her relationship with her husband. She wasn't allowed to touch people. Her relationship with her husband, her marriage was being healed in this moment. Her spiritual life, her, 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 her relationship with God was being healed in this moment. This is powerful. So the first point is obvious, but it's important. Because before we can look at culture, we have to be clear about where the power comes from. And the first point is to encourage us all to reach out to Jesus. To reach out to Jesus. Maybe you need Jesus to heal you of a physical or emotional um, uh, issue, maybe a relational issue. Maybe your marriage needs healing today. Maybe you feel spiritually cut off from God. Maybe shame has held you back. What is it in your life that's isolated you from others, that's isolated you from God? We've all got things that we're ashamed of. But when she heard about Jesus... Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about our Jesus? If you can reach out and you can touch him, you will be healed. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. Have you heard about Jesus? If you can reach out and touch him, you will be healed. So verse 30, Jesus feels power go out of him. Tangible, real. It's not mystical. It's a real power. He feels it go out of him. And Romans 1 tells us that Jesus was proved to be the all-powerful Son of God when he was raised from the dead. 
Hebrews 13 tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And Ephesians 1 tells us that the same unmatched, incredible power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us and is at work through us today. And we know that because we've got the testimonies here, haven't we? We've got testimonies here of, of healing, of changed lives, of that power at work in us, of that power at work through us. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's still healing. He's still changing lives. In the words of Dr. Dre, he's still got love for the streets. He still loves the streets. He still loves the people on the streets. He still loves the crowds. His heart still breaks for them. And we'll have an opportunity in a bit to reach out to him again. So that's that's the first point. Jesus is the power. And we can reach out and grab him. So let's look at the issue of culture. How does Jesus respond to this incident? How does Jesus respond to what is, within that culture, a shameful act of grabbing a prophet of God when you're unclean? Mark 5, verse 30. So we read 30. It says, At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? I'm sure he said it actually a bit more, a bit more friendlier than that. Who touched my clothes? And, the, um, and then 31. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? I think it's ludicrous to ask, who touched me? Because there, there's so many people pressing up against him. But 30, verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He kept looking around. He was searching. He could have let the woman slip away. She could have took her physical healing and she could have slipped away. The disciples wanted to leave it. The disciples, they didn't really care. They were focused on the crowds. They, they had their eye on the bigger picture. You know, this, they, were, they were part of a big movement. There was something big going on here. What did it matter, one person? One person gets healed or not. There's, a bigger, there's bigger issues. There's Jairus' daughter. Jairus was an important guy. And his daughter was dying. There's no time to stop and look around. We need to get to Jairus' house. It would have been easy for Jesus to let the woman go, but he kept looking around. He kept searching. He wasn't prepared to leave her. There's almost like a persistent commitment to this woman. For some reason, as far as Jesus was concerned, it wasn't finished. It wasn't finished. The healing wasn't finished. There was more for her. There was something else that she needed. It wasn't concluded. And eventually, she gives in. It says, verse 33, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. So she came. And you can just get this picture of her. It says she fell at his feet. You can just see her cowering almost, expecting retribution. She's falling at his feet for mercy. I know I shouldn't have touched you. She's physically trembling with fear. She's touched people. She's touched the prophet of God. The fear is almost crippling at being exposed in front of everyone, in front of the whole crowd. Maybe she's afraid that Jesus is going to take back the healing. That he's going to say, you didn't deserve this. You took this without asking. I'm going to t- you shouldn't have it, and I'm going to take it back. It must have taken a lot of courage for her to come, to come forward in front of the crowd, to almost bear her shame in front of everyone. And she's waiting there, eyes closed, for the repercussions. 
And what are the repercussions in verse 34? He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Can you imagine that? While she's, she's there with her eyes closed, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? And she hears that daughter. Imagine the relief. That is such an inclusive word, daughter. Part of God's people. Daughter, you're one of us. You're part of God's people. The love in his voice. Ladies, close your eyes. Close your eyes, ladies. Just let, 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 let the Father speak to you. That's a, such a great word. Daughter. Daughter. Your faith has healed you. It's yours to keep, he's saying. It's yours to keep. Romans 11 tells us that the, the gifts of God are irrevocable. Or irrevocable. Depending on where you're from. <laughs> the gifts of God are irrevocable. And Jesus is saying to her, this is God's plan for your life. Jesus doesn't begrudge her. Jesus doesn't begrudge her this healing. And what else does he say to her? He says, go in peace. Go in peace. Shalom. That Jewish idea of peace. Go with a complete healing, with wholeness. Shalom has a sense of being right with everyone, with, with other people, being right with God. Go in peace. And he says, be free from your suffering. Be free from your suffering. This encounter, this exposure, this exposure to grace has unlocked a new level of freedom for her that she wouldn't have had if she had just slipped away and not, or not really known, should I have had that or shouldn't I? Should I, should I have touched Jesus or shouldn't I? She would have still had, she would still carried that shame. She would have had a physical healing, but she would have still carried her shame. But Jesus, this exposure to grace, Jesus didn't let that happen. And as a result, he can say to her, be free from your suffering. There's freedom for her. So I just want us to look at two points. Two points from this encounter with Jesus. Um, where, uh, t- kind of two points for us to, um, two things that we need to put in place in our community if we want to see a, a culture of shamelessness amongst us at Jubilee. And the first is this, that Jesus doesn't hold back from exposing her, the shame. You think actually the nice thing might have been for Jesus just to say, just to let it go and not to, not to embarrass her. But Jesus kept looking around. That, that verse is quite clear in the Greek, that he's searching, that he's looking around. He doesn't leave it. He's not going to move on until the shame has been exposed. He's not exposing her, but he wants to expose the shame that's been holding her prisoner. The shame that's been patting the baseball bat in his hand and keeping her hidden and separated. He doesn't want to leave her paralysed by shame. Living, so she could, have a, she could have a physical healing, but she could go on living as though she hadn't been healed, because she would still be too afraid to reach out to people, to touch people, to reach out to God. And it's just amazing how patient Jesus is. He gives her time. He gives her time, he doesn't rush on, he doesn't move on, but he's willing to wait. He's willing to wait and give her the time and space that she needs to summon the courage to come forward. And we need to be those that don't take the easy route with each other. We need to be those that keep looking around, keep asking questions, not in a way that exposes people, but a way that that helps people to see the shame that's holding them back. 
We have to refuse to let people slip away sometimes. It's easy to do. You know, some people can come, they can encounter God, and they can slip away. And you can think, well, I wonder what happened. But actually, we need to pursue people. We need to give them the space and time to build the courage to come forward and to, and to, and to, and to share. She's, it, the Bible says that she fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. Jesus refuses to let fear control her. That's what shame will do. It, it will control you by, by using fear. Fear of judgment, fear of punishment, fear that you're somehow going to sabotage your future. You know, that it's all going to go wrong in the future if people really knew about your past. And that's its, that's its, that's its trick, is to intimidate you and control you with fear. And Jesus refused to let fear control this woman. That's why he was adamant. I'm not going anywhere until I finish this. And if we want to be those that are free, if we want to be a community where that's free from shame, we need to be those who are, who are, who are brave and honest. I really feel that. It's a, it's a time for us to be almost kind of buck the trend of our own culture and be brave and, and to be honest with one another. We live in quite a superficial culture, don't we? You know, where it's quite easy to say, how are you? I'm great, I'm fine. How are you? I'm great, I'm fine. And, they, and, and that, and, you know, and that's it for another week. But we need to start, we need to be honest, we need to be brave. God the Father already refuses to condemn you, as we've said. So, this should be a place where there's no condemnation, there's no judgment. There's no punishment. There's no sabotage of the future. I think that's interesting, actually. Dave Devonish, I heard him speak recently. Um, when he started coming back, he, he's um, the guy that leads the Catalyst network of churches, sphere of churches that we're a part of. And he's, he'd mainly been working in the Russian world, uh, Russian-speaking world, and in Muslim um, countries. And when he came back and started working with churches in the UK again, he said it really struck him how um, in Russia, most of the leaders are actually ex-prisoners, ex-drug dealers, ex-drug addicts, who had encountered God, had a radical life transformation, and then had gone and planted churches. And, and, and how in this country, actually, you don't see that very often. You don't, you don't see people who have been, who've met with Jesus, who have been set free from um, drug or alcohol misuse problems, or, you know, who, who, you know, ex-prisoners leading churches in this country. Why is that? And I think, I think it's part of our culture. We have a culture, it's almost like an unspoken culture of shame, where actually people with, we don't, we don't trust people with certain backgrounds. And we mustn't, we mustn't do that. We mustn't do that. We have to release people. You know, if people are brave, if people are honest about their past, if Jesus has set them free from their past, dealt with their sin, refuses to condemn them because he's already justified them, then we need to be those that need to release people into what God has for them, um, for, their, for their, the plans that he has for them, and not to sabotage their future because of their past. We mustn't underestimate the power of telling the whole truth like this woman did. She's told the whole truth. She, she, let, she let it all out. She told Jesus everything. And 1 John says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Um, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's power in confession. But it isn't like 
confessing to a priest. I'm not talking about, you know, we should go and we should confess our sins, you know, tick them off the list. It's about having a, a kind of dynamic community where it's safe to be honest with one another and safe to be authentic. Where it's, we're free from those kind of divisions. And obviously in appropriate times and places, you know what I mean? Um, there are appropriate places to kind of be honest about certain things. There are times for public testimony to come up and to share. And then there are times for cultivating friendships where you can be honest with one another and you can spur each other on. Not just in what you've done, not, not just about what you've done, but it's about what, what's God doing in you? What, where are you going? Because I think actually for us, quite often, we're ashamed to be honest about what we feel God's called us to uh, in our culture. We're, we're ashamed to, 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 to admit, actually, I feel called to this, or I feel God's calling me to leadership, or I feel God's calling me to start something. Do you know what I mean? It's almost, we're embarrassed, because, in fact, I'm, I'm sure I heard a vicar speak recently. He said, when he was at seminary, um, I can't remember who it was, it might have been Charlie Cleverly. But anyway, I heard, some, I heard a vicar speak. He said, when he's at seminary, um, actually... The worst thing you could do is to say, I feel called to the ministry, I feel called to the... Because people would automatically say, well, that means you're not, because you're not humble. Do you know what I mean? That false humility. And we mustn't have that. People have to be free to say, I feel God's calling me to this. And they've got to be free to fail as well. There's no shame in giving it a go. We need to be those that celebrate courage and um, celebrate obedience and not just look at, were you successful or weren't you successful? Did it work or didn't it work? But, um, so yeah, so times for public testimonies. You know, Rob reminded us a few weeks ago that actually we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the, and the power of our testimony. It's important that we become a, an open, honest community where we can openly talk about what God's done in our lives because it's powerful. It's how we overcome the devil. And... Um, and, I, and I, when I was thinking about this, I, th- I, was th- I, I realized actually in my own life, in the last few years, I, I've, 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 I feel like God's brought me on, that I've developed, that I've changed in a way that I haven't ever before. And when I was thinking about it, as I was preparing this, I really feel that it, a big part of it's linked to the kind of relationship that I now have with Rob. That as elders, we meet together, we encourage one another, we share our challenges, um, we're accountable to one another. And it's a very open uh, uh, relationship. And it's, it's, a, it's not a relationship I've had before. And as I've looked back and thought, why for years did I, did, did, I, did I not feel like I was really getting forward, getting anywhere? Actually, I never had any relationships like that. I never had anyone where I felt I could be completely honest with someone about where I was at, what I was struggling with, or what I felt God was calling me to. And actually, in the last few years, as we've kind of as uh, uh, kind of involved in the leadership here with Rob, and as you know, as we were elders, and we, we committed to one another. We're going to be honest. We're going to be open with one another. Every week we meet up, and actually the power of that, in, in terms of bringing change in, in your life, and 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 so, you know, helping to move forward in what God has for you, I don't think can be underestimated. And I wonder if, as we look around, we see people who kind of struggle. Uh, to, to kind of move forward and slip back and struggle and slip back. Actually, whether part, part of the reason for that is that we, you know, our culture, we don't have those deep relationships often and those kind of friendships where we can spur one another on. That's just a thought. But I, um, I want to encourage us, really, to, to develop those 
relationships in our small groups with people that we trust. And, and not to hold back from, from public testimony as well about what God's doing. Okay, so secondly, so first of all, Jesus exposes shame. He's not afraid to do that. And secondly, Jesus isn't afraid to identify himself with the woman. She might be ashamed of herself, but he's not ashamed of her. He's willing to identify with her. He's willing to open himself up to accusation by publicly acknowledging that this woman had touched him. The religious leaders would say, well, now you're unclean, Jesus. Do you know what I mean? So he was, he, was prepared, he was prepared to identify with her, to take accusation upon himself. He wasn't worried about his reputation. Jesus didn't worry about his reputation. Can we be a community like that? Can we be a community who aren't um, afraid to identify with one another, who aren't afraid of our reputations? You know, who is it that if they came into this church, we might think, oh, what about our reputation as a church? What will other churches, church leaders think? Or what will, what will other people think? I don't know. It, it might be different for... for for different ones of us. But Jesus hated shame. And Jesus hated the debilitating effects of shame on people's lives. Which is why in Hebrews 12, it says that he despised shame so much that he went to the cross to destroy it. He was so willing to identify with us in our sin that he took our wrongdoing upon himself. And he was punished. So that all those horrendous videos that we have could be erased forever. And you know, when Jesus died on the cross, you know, it was a shame-filled death. It was a shame-filled death. The Bible said, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. But in order to deal with sin, Jesus had to take on the shame that went with it. He had to take on the consequence of sin, which was the shame that went with it. And just remember, you know, even before he got to the cross, he was publicly humiliated and mocked and beaten. And actually, he was, he was accused of failing, wasn't he, Jesus? They said, you could, you could save others, but you can't save yourself. And I don't know about you, but often for me, maybe it's being a man, that actually one of the things I really struggle with is if people think I failed or, you know. But Jesus was, was, was prepared to have accusations of failure failure flung at him. And then when he died on the cross, he was exposed and naked. You know that, don't you? Actually, you know, the little effigies of Jesus with a bit of, or the paintings of Jesus with a little bit of, um, with a tea towel over his privates. You know, that's not true. He was completely exposed, completely naked. John makes the point, actually. In the Gospel of John, John says that the soldiers gambled for his clothes, including, John makes a point that, including his cheaton, which is this undergarment that would have been, basically his underwear. They even gambled for his underwear. So when Jesus was hung on the cross, he was completely exposed, completely shamed. And he did it so that the power of shame could be completely broken over our lives. So who are we to keep it alive here? Who are we to let it stay alive here? Who are we to use it to manipulate other people? If Jesus did that, to destroy it. 
And then just last point. Jesus wasn't afraid to identify himself with the lady, with this woman, even though it would have meant the accusations that he was contaminated by her. He wasn't afraid of being contaminated. Jewish law, in, in Haggai, God's clear, he says, look, holy things that from the temple, holy things, if they touch something that's unclean, the un- unclean thing doesn't become holy. The holy thing becomes polluted. The holy thing becomes contaminated. Only God can make things clean. Jesus wasn't contaminated because he was God. And when the woman came into contact with Jesus, she was the one that was changed. Jesus, his holiness, Jesus' freedom was contagious. You can't contaminate Jesus. There's nothing that we've done that's too much for him to handle. There's no, 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 no one's hands are too grubby to grab Jesus. Nothing is beyond his forgiveness. If you come into contact with Jesus today, he will free you from your sin. He will free you from your shame. And you're the one that will leave changed. And if you're in Christ, you can't be contaminated. You can't be contaminated. You're a contagious carrier of of his holiness and freedom. That's what we are to be as a a community. A contagious carrier contagious carriers of his holiness and his freedom as we go out. So, shame has no place here. Those who hope in Jesus will never be put to shame. Amen? We're not going to let fear of what others think, what others will say, keep us hiding. And we don't want our past to separate us from one another or from God. So we don't want to give Let's not give shame a place to incubate. Let's expose it by exposing the grace in each other's lives. Let's find appropriate places to be authentic and honest with one another. And let's be quick to forgive one another. Let's refuse to use shame against one another as a weapon, securing our identity of who we are in Christ. Let's not go where Jesus refuses to go. And let's not fear contamination. But let's go out and be contagious. Do you want to stand? Let's just reach out to Jesus. Whoever we are, we all all need to reach out to Jesus. I had that picture, I didn't, um, for a on the presentation which, which of Michelangelo's creation of Adam, you know, where the two fingers are touching, God's finger and man's finger. And I remember, I think it was John Ortberg makes the point that, um, you know, man looks kind of a bit kind of relaxed and casual about it, like this, but God is leaning out, leaning out to touch man. And that's true. Michelangelo was onto something. Jesus is in reach. Why don't you just reach out to Jesus? Hold out your hands, whatever that means for you, I don't know. Sin was destroyed on the cross and so was the side effect of sin, which is shame. Shame has been eradicated. Jesus died in shame so that we could live free from shame. You can't contaminate him today, but you can reach out and receive power.
can receive freedom, freedom, you can receive physical healing, can receive financial freedom, you can receive restoration in relationships, healing for your marriage, can receive restoration of your relationship with Jesus. What does reaching out mean for you? Maybe it's physically holding out your hands. Maybe it's asking someone to pray for you at the end. Maybe it's going away and finding someone that you trust and say, look, I want to be honest with you. I want to be honest with you. Can we be honest with each other? Whatever it is. This is a place of freedom. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the freedom, Lord, that we enjoy because of what Jesus suffered on the cross. Thank you that sin has been destroyed. The dominion of sin has been utterly destroyed. Lord Jesus, thank you that you took our punishment. Any punishment is dealt with, so we don't have to fear, because fear is to do with punishment. This is a place where, where we're free of fear. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't... Um, you didn't shy away from the shame of the cross, but you endured it. You took it upon yourself so that we could be those that live shame-free. We can be a shameless community, completely free of shame. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So we ask, Lord, work amongst us, Holy Spirit. Lord, let us be those, Lord, who... who don't give shame anywhere to to hide, but who expose it and deal with it, who live shame-free, and who honour one another and the grace and the gifts that's on each other's life. In Jesus' name, amen.